I'd ask you to open your Bibles with me this morning to the New Testament book of Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 as we are continuing in a sermon series that's entitled Deep Emotion. We're looking at emotions that God has given us, and we're looking at our use of these emotions. This morning, we're going to focus on an emotion that I know that you use, and I bet that you can fake. We've got a really good, we all have a fake when it comes to this. It's an emotion that you can't get enough of. It's an emotion that you're sad when you don't have it, that you absolutely recognize when you can't find it. And just like the other emotions that we talked about in this series, just like love and anger that we studied last week, this week we see that joy is this emotion created by God, given to you as a gift, and it is exclusively defined by God. Remember, we studied that when it came to love. We studied that when it came to anger as well. Joy is a gift to you defined by God. It is evident in our culture that depression is running rampant in our society. There is a noticeable void of joy in our hearts, in our homes, in our society, and in our lives. I want, to, I want you to see if you can see the correlation here because it is worth noting that in hearts, in your home, in our society, and in your life, there is also a void from God. Let me tell you this. The further away from God that you are, the more that you're going to recognize that there is no joy in your life. The more you're going to recognize that something is missing, you cannot find the joy aside from Christ. I wonder if this has ever happened to you. Maybe you planned a, a date night, or you plan to take the family out to the movies, and so you get everyone in the car, and, and the kids are excited, and go down there to the theater. Well, first you stop at the dollar store to get some candy because you're going to sneak it in, right? You know what I'm talking about. I know you know what I'm talking about. But you get in and you pay $14 for the, for the popcorn. You go and sit down. Everything is going well. The night seems to be working out well. The entire movie, none of the kids had to go to the bathroom. This was great. But you're walking out and it's like, eh. Like, you know what? That really... This whole experience of taking the kids in and going out, I just, I'm, I'm just not feeling it. Like, what I had expected wasn't there at the other end of this experience that I created. And let me tell you why. It's that joy cannot be created. We're going to dive into that a little bit deeper this morning. If you didn't have the joy that you felt that you would, it might be because you were trying to create your own joy. It, here's this, joy also cannot be commanded. I can tell everyone in this room, I want you to make a joyous noise and just get up and make a, you know, let me see, let me see joy. And you could, I know that this group can make a bunch of noise, I know that. 
But it would, would it be fair to say that we can make noise and we can look joyous without having joy? Happens. Happens a lot. Back in the Old Testament, the Israelites were taken captive. They were in Babylon. And one of the, the psalmists in the book of Psalm 137, verse number 3, writes this. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted for a joyful hymn. Sing us one of your songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord when we're in a pagan land? What was happening is they are exiled somewhere else. And somebody said, be joyous. You can't command Jesus' joy. You can't just make it happen. It takes, and it takes more than just being in a happy place. I know we've got a happy place. I don't know where yours is. Um, yeah, mine used to be at a restaurant. It kind of changes. It, it depends on, uh, but I don't know where your happy place is, but it takes more than that to find joy. Now, let me say this. We find that, that joy, sometimes we like to use the word happiness, to replace joy. And let me tell you what that does. If we use happy instead of joy, we are diminishing the value of joy. We are diminishing everything that comes with joy and we're just putting it in happiness. That's one part of joy. Joy is like happiness on steroids. I don't know if I could talk about steroids, like an addictive drug from the pulpit, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I think you know what I, what I mean, right? It is, it, it's that big of a, of a deal. I can say uh, with uh, 100% certainty that everyone here wants joy, has tasted joy, or is looking for joy. Some of you came here today to get joy. Spoiler alert. I'm going to tell you that if you're waiting for the end of the sermon to come so that you could grab joy from the Lord and then go home, there might be a disappointment in that. Joy from the Lord is going to require more than sitting through a 40-minute lecture once a week. It requires more. Here's the spoiler. If just coming in and, and listening to me, if that's what we think is going to give us that joy, it's, there's a chance that might ha not happen. I, I, Pastor Chris, cannot command joy from you. I cannot gift you joy. David can't, he can't play and you can smile and you can sing, but he can't give you joy. Only one person can give you joy. And that's Jesus. We're going to see today that joy is a spiritual trait. It's a spiritual emotion. It's different from happiness. We talked about that. But why, why does our world try to, and it does this a lot, why does it try to mask happiness as joy and sell you that? You'll be happy with this. This is joy. Why does the world do that? Here's a better question. Why do we buy that? It happens 
because they know that joy is something that you want. All they have to do is change some language and put some, have a, a beautiful commercial and we go out and we buy what we think is joy to come and bring it home and then it just becomes another thing. Our world cannot sell you joy. It would be really simple for me to come up here and quote some, some verses and say, joy, joy comes in the morning. I could, I could read you a lot of, of joy verses, but that's, it's, there's, that's not the point. It's deeper than that. I can't wrap up joy in a single verse. I can't wrap up joy in a tweet. It takes a relationship with Jesus. It takes you being connected to Christ. You can come here and be connected to the church. The church, yes, connected to Christ, but we need a personal relationship. You're not looking for corporate joy. We're looking for individual joy. It comes from one place. I wish this morning that I could read you the entire book of Philippians because it's an amazing letter that Paul has written to a church in Philippi. This is one of the churches that, that Paul has, has been at. They are supporting him. He's not there right now, but they're supporting him. They're sending him stuff. You know where Paul is? Paul's in prison right now. So he'll write letters to the church in Philippi, and they'll go, and they'll write back. They'll support him. Uh, you, you know, this is, a, this is a good group of people who love him. They're putting money on his books. They're, like, making sure he's got enough on his phone card so that he can call home. They are taking care of him, and he appreciates it, and he loves them. And I want you to see what, what Paul says in Philippians. I'm in chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse number 3. Verses number one or two, it's just Paul saying, hey, I'm Paul, I'm writing you this letter. We're going to start in verse number three. Paul writes this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. So let's put this into context. Remember, Paul is in jail. He's received information communications from the church in Philippi, and he's writing them back. He's telling them, hey, I'm here. I'm doing good. I'm so happy for you. Paul's planted other churches. This is what Paul does. This letter was written, we're looking at about the mid-60s, uh, so about 30, maybe 20, 25 years after, after Christ's crucifixion. So Paul's been doing a lot of work planting churches here and there and here and there, but this church loves Paul. They're writing him. Paul is writing back. And Paul is saying, he is, he's saying, you're special as a church. He says, every time I pray for you, you make my prayers joyous. I am so happy because I'm praying to Christ for you. Christ is in my prayer and you are the recipient. Paul is not just happy, Paul is joyous. That's a big difference. It might sound odd coming from a man who is in prison, but I'll tell you why that is important. 
comes down to the first point, point in your notes this morning. If you're new with us, you'll find on the back side of your bulletin there's some fill in the blanks, and I'm going to give you those, and they're going to be up here on the screen as well. Point number one in your notes this morning is this. Joy can only be recognized in contrast to a life without joy. Joy can only be recognized in contrast to a life without joy. You've heard people say this, like, y'all, you never know what you had until it's gone, right? Well, what it's saying is you don't recognize what it was until you don't have it anymore. Joy is only recognizable in contrast to something else that is, that is not, that, that brings your spirit down. We can only recognize it in that moment. You'll never know joy, true joy, until you, watch this, know sadness. Until you know despair. Joy is, it's like that. It's only recognized in comparison. Here's the truth about joy. God is the author of joy as an emotion. What brings joy is always there. What brings joy will never, ever change. And your ability to find joy is always there, and that won't change either. If we're looking to society and we're looking to commercials and we're looking to our world to provide us joy or to go out and buy joy, we can buy something that it temporarily makes us happy, but that's not long term. Here's the thing. Our world can change what it is that it wants to sell you next month or next year or the year after that. Jesus is the same yesterday as he is today as he is tomorrow. Your joy is found in one place. Yeah, trying to find it in our world. <laughs> yeah, good luck. That's hard. I'll be 100% honest with you. In 2012, I was diagnosed with a, with a very, very deep, deep depression. When I was a kid growing up in the 80s, there were some, there were some, what we see now today as medical terms that we would just write off. We'd say things like, depression? Just go be happy, and then that's done. We would, we would we'd say things like, like um, well, now we've got a diagnosis of alcoholism. Then we'd just say, oh, you don't want to be an alcoholic, you just stop drinking, right? That was the idea at that time. So growing up, looking at something like depression, some of us were told, you know, if you fall into this, that's not real. That's, that's not real, just be happy. I don't, I, don't, I don't understand. I'm not gonna lie to you. Depression is no hocus-pocus. It's not a, a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. It can bring you down. 
And as soon as Satan can get a hook on a heart, as soon as Satan can get a hook on something that he can start pulling down, pulling your spirits down, he will. He will. Our joy comes from one place. You cannot replace, you cannot fight spiritual depression with earthly techniques. That's not going to work. That spiritual depression needs to be fought as a spiritual battle, and that's going to come from us being in our book. Amen? I'm not a doctor, and I'm not a psychologist. I'm a pastor, and I can tell you about joy. Please don't take anything that, that I've said up here in regards to depression as a diagnosis at all. I am not one to... Uh, I'm not a prescriber. I'm not a mental health professional. I'm a spiritual health professional. I can help you in that area. But I will say that there are, if you are in the, that world of depression, there are, there are ways to be helped, but we're not going to fully come out of that until we fully go into a life with Christ. That won't happen. I'll tell you, there was a time in Jesus' ministry when he was getting ready to send out some disciples. Now, this is more than just his 12 disciples. He had a bunch of people that he was getting ready to send out. He was going to go on tour. And so what he's looking to do is to get the cities ready for him before he gets there. So he puts, he teams the guys up and, 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 and he's ready to send them out. He's got 72 of them and he's, you know, you guys are going to go out. I want you to see this story. I'm in Luke chapter 10 and I'm in verse number one. It'll be up here on the screen. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and he sent them ahead in pairs to all of the towns and places that he planned to visit. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. I'm going to skip to verse number 10. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe down even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we are abandoning you, that, that, that we are moving on and you are we have abandoned you to your fate. Sometimes we get some place to evangelize, to tell people about Jesus, and, and just absolutely want nothing to do with it. You just shake it off. Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, okay, head on. He says, what, what Jesus is doing right here is he is managing expectations. We go out to evangelize. We expect everyone. We hope everyone's going to come in. We're going to have big numbers now, right? Jesus is managing expectations. He's saying, you know what? I know that you want joy from this. I know that's what you're going out to do, but that may not happen. Be prepared. He goes on to say this in verse number 16. Then he said to the disciples, anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. So here he is managing expectations on this project again. He's saying, I want you to go out. I want you to do your work. I want you to minister. I want you to evangelize. If they don't accept what you have to say, 
it's not your fault. Your job is the job. Just keep talking, keep going. If they reject it, that's on me. I'm taking this. Come with me, I'm in verse number 20. This is so important. But don't rejoice. Okay, I'm gonna back up for just one minute. Oh, 17. Am I in 17, Isaiah? There we go, I'm in verse 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him. They told him, Jesus, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. That had to have been amazing. If you were paired up with a guy, you go into a new town and there's a, a demon in this kid and you are able to throw that demon out, that's what's sticking in the mind of these disciples. Here's what Jesus tells them in verse 20. He says, but don't rejoice team don't rejoice because you can throw out an evil spirit in my name because they obey you rejoice because your names are registered in heaven he says it's it's not the it's not the mission it's not the work it's not the demons it's not doing what you're doing that isn't where your joy comes from rejoice that you are going to spend eternity with me in heaven that's where your joy comes from When you find joy in Jesus, let me tell you, our world is going to want to take it away from you. They want to give you their substitute of fake joy that they can control and that they can manipulate. And God says, nope, don't let that happen. Don't give up the joy that I have given you. But you can imagine if you were actually there with Jesus, I want you to put yourself in a position of one of the disciples. You've been around Jesus. You've been walking with him for, for three years. You hear his ministry. You see his miracles. You know that he is the Messiah. And then he's going to tell you something that is very odd, that is very strange. I'm in John chapter 16. It'll be up here on the screen also. John chapter 16, verse number 16, it says, In a little while, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now he's back to 12, okay? He says, I'm going to be with you for, in a little while, you won't see me anymore. But in a little while after that, you'll see me again. Verse 19, Jesus realized that they wanted to ask him about it. So he said, are you asking yourselves what I meant? Because that was kind of confusing. Verse 20, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me. But the world... The world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman severing the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into this world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. I want you to recognize what Jesus is actually telling his disciples. He's saying, I'm going away and you will grieve. I love you, you love me. Jesus is saying, we know who we are. I'm going to go. You're going to be sad. 
There's going to be sorrow. You might even cry. You might mourn. And you're feeling down because I'm gone. And even on top of all of that emotion that you're feeling, here's where it's going to get even worse. Everyone you know in society is going to be rejoicing that I'm gone. Everyone's going to be happy that I'm not here. In our culture, everyone is going to be excited that you're not reading your Bible anymore. They're going to be so excited that you stopped going to, to church. But Jesus says, don't worry. Let them rejoice that I'm gone. But you've, you will experience joy because you know I'm coming back. You can be joyous. It's okay for you to feel sorrow now. That's okay. It is okay for you to cry. It is okay for you to be kind of bummed out at this whole thing. But no, I'm telling you, God says, I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm going to go, people are going to, you're going to be sad because you believe in me. Everyone else is going to be so happy. And that's going to make you even more sad. But rejoice because I'm coming back. And no one can rob you of that joy. Amen? Come back with me to our story. We're in Philippians chapter 1. I'm in verse number 6. Paul writes this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of me, uh, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. So we see here that Paul is saying, he says, yeah, I am, I'm in jail. I'm here. I'm so thankful that you're there and that you're writing me. Part of this reason for Paul's joy in jail is that he is still receiving gifts from God. He is still receiving love. It doesn't really matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at. God can give you the gift of his joy wherever you are at. The prison walls cannot stop that. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. I want you to write this down. Joy is a spiritual response to an earthly situation. I'm going to explain that. Write that down. Joy is a spiritual response to an earthly situation. Someday, we are all going to experience spiritual joy with Christ and the angels and God the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven. We are going to be able to experience that together. Angels are spiritual beings. Right before Jesus was born, we have an angel out in the field talking to shepherds, bringing good tidings of great joy, right? Bringing this spiritual joy. God wants us to experience that joy. Happiness, happiness can be an earthly response to an earthly situation. That's happiness. You want a spiritual response? That is joy. Now, 
Let me explain what I mean. When somebody walks down this aisle after church while David is playing and says, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That is an earthly, we are right here, right now. We have spiritual joy and happiness because we have a new brother and sister in Christ. When we go and, and, and we have baptism in the park, this is, we are on earth, this is an earthly situation and we have spiritual happiness, we have spiritual joy for this situation. There are other situations that are earthly that have spiritual results. Some of them don't include fun and some of them don't include what, what we would think is, is always joyous. Sometimes we can find joy in things, watch this, where we don't find happiness. Wow, did we just disconnect joy and happiness? Yeah, spiritual is your joy. Watch what James says in James chapter 1. You've heard this before too. James chapter 1 verse number 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Here's what James is telling us. That spiritual happiness can come through your trials. It can come through the complications that you are going through. It can come through torment. It can come through oppression. James is saying, when you see those situations, don't run from them because it's a chance to grow. It's a chance to gain endurance. And your growth in Christ is joyous. He's saying, don't just... Step aside because it looks like it's going to be somewhat difficult. In our men's group, we're studying authentic manhood, and I'm so glad that Jerry has us on this, this particular Bible study. And we're looking at, at points of, of men as, as we're growing together as men, and we're growing in God's Word together. James is telling us that Sometimes you're going to be uncomfortable for the gospel. He's, one, one of the points that we studied this week is to reject passivity. Rejecting just the idea of being passive and just letting things go. No, sometimes we have to put ourselves in the position that's going to make us uncomfortable because it's those that are going to help us grow when our faith is tested. God can test us. He's not going to tempt us, but testing helps us grow. James says, I want you to grow, so I need you in the game. I need you in the field. I need you to face opposition so that you can grow. That is testing. Count that all joy. Don't run away from it. Count it all joy. Get in and do your job. Get in and minister to others who are going to reject you on my behalf. 
Get in. Don't stand at the sidelines. When you are there, count it all joy because you are putting yourself in a position to grow. I'm in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 14. Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know, again, he's in jail, right? I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard into all the rest of my imprisonment, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19, for I, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I want you to understand. I want you to see what Paul is saying right here. He's saying, because I am living here in prison... And all I'm talking about is Jesus. Even the guards are recognizing Christ as king. You minister in jail? Yeah, Paul's ministering in jail. And these are guys who are Romans. These are guys with big lance things that kill people with things that hurt. And Paul is ministering to them and he is bringing the guards to Christ. But we think, Paul, aren't you in jail? Like, isn't that a place of sorrow and torment? Yeah. Write this down. This is point number three in your notes this morning. Joy is the God-gifted ability to find peace in sorrow. Joy is the God-gifted ability to find peace in sorrow. Sorrow. How does Paul find peace and joy and, and smiles and, and how can he laugh and in jail when he's not near his family, he's not near his disciples, none of that. How can he find peace? How is it that some people can go to a funeral, and you've seen this, some people can go to a funeral and then they can move back into life easier than other people, right? You know that's happened. And it does happen, and that's a hard situation, I know that. But how is it that some people can go through the most traumatic experiences in their life, but they can still forgive, and they can still find peace in sorrow? See, we can't recognize joy without recognizing sorrow. Joy, the depth of joy is so much more than happiness. Some of us are better at that than others. It is highly unlikely that the Apostle Paul was so happy and so joyous because he was in prison, and, and it's highly unlikely that he was ecstatic because, you know what, this place, the food is amazing here, right? Um, I've got plenty of rec time, uh, my celly is great, uh, love this place. No, that's not why he was happy, uh-uh. There is only one way that you could find deep joy in your deepest sorrow. 
only way is by relying on the promises of God. You can't rely on the promises of anyone else. You cannot rely on the promises of society. You cannot rely on the happiness that commercials say. And I'm going to give you a warning. Please don't rely on the promises of me or of the church. I am human. The church is led by humans who are God-led. Rely on the promises of God. For depression, sometimes, sometimes medication is helpful. Sometimes getting away from it all is helpful. Sometimes trauma therapy is helpful. Sometimes telling yourself that this too shall pass, sometimes that is helpful. But helpful is not always permanent. God's love is. That's not going anywhere. You might be hurting today, and I know that it's hard to imagine that with over 7 billion faces on earth that God can see yours, but he can. And he does. And he has joy. And he cares about you. Society doesn't, and they don't have the joy you're looking for. Celebrities don't, and they don't have the joy that you're looking for. I can tell you right now, God does. Your church family cares about you and loves you. God loves you so much. Let me tell you something. He cares about you so, so much that if you are lost, God's coming after you. He's coming after you. I wonder who else is coming after you if you're lost. I don't know that society is going to hunt you down. I'm in Matthew chapter 18, verse number 12. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go out to search for the one that is lost? And, and if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than, than the other 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Mm -mm. God will find you. Sometimes you have to make yourself known. He will find you. But we should always be searching for him as well. The Holy Spirit has given us tools, emotional tools. We read this in the book of Galatians. This is Galatians 5, and, and you'll recognize some of these. This is Holy Spirit giving you fruit, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We are given those as gifts, as believers. When you come into the family of God, there's a fruit basket waiting for you. It says, hey, here you go. Let's start developing these. Point number four in your notes, your final point is this. Joy is a gift to the believer in Jesus and is meant to be a gift to others. 
It's meant to be a gift to others. We've talked about this before. God has given you many other gifts. He has given you a gift to serve at the church. He has given you a gift and an ability to love other people. He has given you a gift maybe to talk to other people. There is a gift that you have that was not designed for us to just hold on to ourselves and to keep ourselves. These gifts were designed for us to give to others also. I know you're looking for joy. I know you're looking for love. I know that. God has a basket of these inside that the Holy Spirit has produced for you. Yes, it is for you. It's also for you to give to others. It's also for you to show to others. I'm going to end in Romans chapter 15, verse, verse number 13. Paul is writing to another church in Rome. He says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul is praying for your joy. He is praying for your love for others. He is praying for the others who find Christ through you. We see that Jesus prayed this prayer also in the book of John. John 17, we see that, that, that Jesus is praying to the Father for these, his disciples, and those who will come to him through them. Yeah, we also, we also are the recipients of people who have been praying for us long ago. It's up to us to be praying for those who we are looking to reach. It's up to us to be praying for those who are looking for joy in the wrong place. There is only one, hear me, there is only one source of permanent joy. He's in the book. He's in the book. If you don't have a copy of his word, we've got one at the back table for you. Take it home. It is absolutely free. I want you in the book of Psalms. I want you in the book of Proverbs. We've got to come close to Jesus. And that is more than simply coming to church. This is where we come together corporately. We need that individual relationship with Jesus.